I kind of thought, okay, well, it's going to be a couple of months. You know, I can do that. I can try and learn how to run the business. But when she read out all these different charges, which added up to four and a half years, I was in complete and utter shock. Welcome to Parenthood, where our lives and stories aren't perfect, but very real. I'm your host, Leonie Kidanor, and each week I'll be peeling back the often silent struggle we face as parents and bringing you guilt-free conversations to help you feel seen and heard. It's like group therapy. Leave your judgment at the door. Let's begin. Welcome to the show. Mel, Patrick, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Leonie. Thanks for having us. Hi, thanks for having us. So for those listening, Mel Jacob is a former teacher and journalist. Her work has been published in the Sydney Morning Herald, The Good Weekend, Sunday Life and Radio National, and her memoir, In Sickness, In Health and In Jail, uh, was published in 2016. So uh, we're here to really talk about, yeah, the book, your experience, guys, as a couple as well, during a very um, difficult time in both of your lives. Uh, Patrick, for those listening, is a business owner based on the Central Coast. So I guess let's jump straight into your story, guys. So first of all, I want to hear from each of you. Tell me, take us back to the moment when you first found out that Patrick was going to jail. You know, talk me through, what was your reaction? Um, Give us a little bit of background on that. Uh, Yeah, well, look, uh, it's still, you know, quite quite a shock uh, to the system. Um, Basically, after a a long two-year court case, um, he was sentenced and and, uh, given a sentence of four and a half years. So that was quite a shock. I broke down, um, uh, you know, was crying. Uh, there'd been a bit of preparation uh, leading up to this, so it was probably a lot more shocking, shocking when he actually got arrested and the, um, and the police, uh, you know, came to the house because actually that was so out of the blue and the kids were home watching TV and they were kind of, um, I remember our son answered the door and yelled out, Mom, the police are here, and it was just like so casual about it that it was ended up being, you know, not a very casual thing at all. So. Mm. What was that like? I mean, if I go to you, Patrick, like what was happening? I guess I'm, I'm curious even at that point. So you get the knock on the door, um, yep. you know, talk us a little bit around the background of that. Yeah, so I was actually at the warehouse and Melissa was at home. Mm-hmm. So we both went through very different experiences. Um, I was at my warehouse and I was selling furniture and um, uh, the police came uh, while I was in the middle of a, a transaction for a, a lounge uh, and they told the customer to put it down and to half of it was in his truck and half of it was not in his truck. And so um, put it down and the money couldn't tra- transact. And, yeah, I was, uh, what the heck is going on? I was in such shock. Uh, mm-hmm. And they put my hands behind my back and handcuffed me um, and walked me out. Um, the biggest shock for me was getting sentenced to jail because uh, all the advice up to that point was it's definitely not going to be jail time, it's going to be, you know, uh, suspended sentence or it's going to be, you know, house arrest or something like that. Um, and the lawyers were saying on your very, on the very worst day the judges had, she might give you, you know, two weeks jail just to teach you a lesson. Um, so I was in absolute shock, you know, because um, the lawyers were saying, look, first time, no victim. Um, uh, yeah, it's not going to be, it's not going to be a big uh, jail uh, sentence. And so that mm. was an absolute shock to me. So what was the crime that you were sentenced for? 
Um, so it was all weapons related. So I had an, um, a business selling uh, lots of different things, furniture and also archery supplies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sold some um, crossbows, assembled and unassembled. And, um, yeah, I really, um, I knew it was wrong and I shouldn't have done it. And, um, yeah, uh, and so, yeah, I got sentenced for uh, possession and and a sale of um, prohibited weapons, uh, crossbows and slingshots. So was it, I mean, that must have been a very bad day for the judge if all of a sudden you'd been told, oh, it's not very likely that you'll even, you know, get a jail sentence. And then, you know, all of a sudden it's at the time it was said to be four years. I believe you did a bit less than that. I mean, what did the lawyers have to say about that? Um, you know, well, you said you were shocked. It was quite strange because, you know, mm. for years leading up to it, they were saying it's very unlikely. And we got this report from um, Corrective Services saying that I wasn't an ideal candidate for jail because they do this report on you, an independent um, uh, person from Corrective Services, and she said that I, I would learn, I've, I've learnt my lesson and I'll probably um, learn it even if I was to have home detention. And so lawyers all the whole time were saying very unlikely. And then just before we walked into sentencing, one of the lawyers said, you know, this is the room of disappointments, so expect anything. And I was like, what? You For two years you've been telling me it's unlikely and now you're telling me what? And then, uh, yes, yeah, so I, was, I, I was in shock for I think five days or so where I just mm. couldn't sleep and I was vomiting um, mm. in jail the first five days because I was just in such shock. Do they take you? What happens? So they sentence you at the time the judge makes their ruling and then you basically go straight off to jail or how does it, what happens? Yeah, so the judge, um, you know, says her, her piece that goes mm. for half an hour or so and she said things like, you know, we've probably only got you for the tip of the iceberg. There's probably a lot of things we don't know and haven't seen. And I um, and a few things um, I, I didn't necessarily agree with and I, I said to the judge, oh, can I say something? And she said, absolutely not. Um, go down to the docks straight away. So I was um, just going to correct a couple of things that she said. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, no hugs, no kisses. Um, in the little dock that you're sitting at, there's a stairway um, and there's guards at the doorway of the dock. And so you literally go down the stairway um, from the courthouse uh, in Penrith um, down to the police holding cells, um, which is a building next door, and you go in an underground tunnel to that. Uh, and then I'm in the um, the jail there. And um, uh, someone said, your lawyer will come down and explain just exactly what happened. Um, and I never saw him. For, I never saw him for again, um, I think, ever. I never saw him. That was uh, that was years ago. I never, he never came and saw me ever again after that point. Wow. So you're in the holding cell. What ha- I'm just so intrigued about this process. So what happens after that? Um, there's other people in the holding cell. So this is yep. my first interaction with other inmates. Mm. Um, and I'm asking them what's going on and they're really coy with me because you're not supposed to ask lots of questions, you know, and I'm like, what's going to happen with me and where do we go? And, and some of them want to have a bit of a game and, and have fun. So they, um, they make up stories about what's going to happen next, um, which just scare the life out of me more, you know, and, you know, one of the guys saying, well, you know, me and this other guy are going to rape you and stuff. And uh, I was like, I, I just, I just had no other reason to think it was a joke. <laughs> didn't think it was real. Um, and so I was absolutely petrified. And um, yeah, and from there, you wait for all the other guys to have their court cases. Mm. And so even if you're finished at nine a.m., you wait in that dock. Uh, you wait in that cell with all those inmates till five p.m. that that night. And then you're transported to the um, the police holding cells at Surrey Hills which, uh, again, is run by police, not corrective services. 
um, and most people spend two weeks there um, or they sort out which um, which jail you're going to go to. Mm. Um, and the next jail you go to is another holding jail anyway, which is Silverwater. Um, but you'll spend a week or two in the police holding cells at Surrey Hills, um, which is hell on earth. It's, there's no windows, you're underground, you don't get to see the outside for a week or two. Um, showers are once every two or three days. Um, you're in with... Um, you're also in with guys that have just been pulled directly off the street for doing a crime. So, yeah, it's a, I won't talk, I won't bore you too much with that. But, um, yeah. Oh, so interesting, though. <laughs> and so, do you have your own cell there, or are you actually sharing with other people? No, you're sharing with other people uh, and a mix of people. You're sharing with people that have been sentenced. You're sharing with people that have just been pulled off the street. Oh. Um, I was in a cell with three guys that just been pulled off the street for armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they were in their civilian clothes. And, um, and, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's feces on the wall. I remember, um, using the intercom saying to the guards, the police saying, Hey guys, if you can just bring a bucket, I'll, I'll make this place spotless. And they're like, Oh, great. Good idea. Good on you. And then two hours later, I'd say, Oh, where's that bucket? And they go, Oh, coming straight down. And they did that for two weeks. So just having a laugh. Mm. So, um, and the guys off the street, you know, um, they were really um, suspicious of me. So uh, they thought I was a police plant to try and find out how many armed robberies they'd done and stuff. And they're like, why are you asking questions? And, you know, how come you've got no tattoos? And, um, you know, uh, you don't look like an inmate or a prisoner. And I was saying it's my first time and stuff. And they were saying, Mm. and so one of the guys go, I recognise you from St George Police Station. I was like, no, I've never heard of that or been there. And like, yep, Mm. yep, absolutely, we recognise you. And, um, yeah, uh, one of the guys said, I want you to say in front of us all, I'm not an effing D, which means I'm not a, a, a detective. Mm. And they said, say that and that'll help your case. And I said, I mm. can't say that. And they said, why can't you say that? And I said, well, I, I don't swear. Um, and that's, uh, you know, I had, I've had this uh, maybe strange um, thing that, uh, you know, um, been raised by my parents that I've just, I just, I just don't swear. I, um, mm. and so I wouldn't swear for them either. And they riled up and got really angry when I said, I can't say that. <laughs> oh my God. And so holding cell number two, what happens after that? Um, and so, then you go to your cell or what? Yeah. Um, so Surrey Hills for two weeks, then yeah. they send you to Silverwater for six weeks. Everyone goes to Silverwater into maximum security, no matter what you've done, mm. parking tickets or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, then corrective services take over. So you've been police holding cell and corrective services take uh, four to six weeks to classify you. So um, no matter what you've done or how long your sentence is, corrective services don't even necessarily care about that. Mm-hmm. They want to observe you and see are you mm-hmm. at high risk, medium risk or low risk. Um, and so uh, mm-hmm. a, a is high risk, B, medium and C is low risk. Um, above that, you've got E, which is E is escape risk. So um, that's that's mm. super max as well. And so you've got uh, mm. you've got E one, E two, then you've got A one, A two, A three, B one, B two, B three, and then you've got C one, C two, C three. And so um, yeah, uh, people start usually as a A one, unless they've tried to escape, then they're at E one. They start as an A one, mm. and they slowly over weeks or months or years go down the classification system. Okay, where were you classified? Like, were you in lower security um, prison, or where were you taken to? Yeah, so I was A one, like everyone, for six weeks while they observed okay. me. Yeah, uh, and usually, if you're well over those six weeks, they'll 
classify you down to possibly a B. Okay. Um, after my interview where I was just bawling the whole time saying how scared I was, um, they mm-hmm. classified me C2 straight away. Okay. <laughs> so so is that the lower, that's lower the, end? That's the lowest you can get besides okay. work release, which is C3. Okay. And okay. you're not going to be not going to put me on work release six weeks into a four year sentence. Yes. <laughs> so okay. So I'm going to go to Mel now. So you, there's a long period of time where this process is happening before you know Patrick's even, um, you know, being put in C1 and that particular um and and stayed there. Are you what level of communication were you even able to have during that time, if any? Well, when Patrick was first taken away, there's a period of, I think it was about a week that we didn't hear from Patrick at all. So he was taken away uh, when he was taken into custody. And um, it's really strange because you've got no way of contacting. I had no way of contacting him. So it's just in our, you know, day and age where, you know, you can text someone, mm-hmm. leave them a voice message, email them, like there's, there's none of that. And mm-hmm. so I basically had to wait until he contacted me um, and you're given a number. So you have to register and register your details and things like that. So when he was kind of um, moved to Silverwater and had that um, classification and the the MIN number it's called, he was eventually able to call me, but it was just a a waiting game basically. Mm. Um, And that could be really difficult as well because um, it's all on his terms. So he could only call me whenever it suited him. And often it wasn't convenient like with, you know, school pickups or preschool or mm. things like that. So um, I remember actually once we were at the do- doctor's surgery mm. and uh, I was waiting with the kids and one of them needed to see the doctor and then this was when Patrick had been in there for a little while but mm. they recognised, um, I think there was no call or ID, they both reached for the phone, answered it and then there's like a re- automated mess- a recorded message saying, um, you are about to receive a phone call from an inmate in a corrective facility and one of the kids had put it on speaker so everybody oh. uh, everybody in the doctor's surgery could hear it. And they're like, hi, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> and um, everyone was kind of looking oh. around going, oh. <laughs> yeah. So how did you, so from that moment in the courtroom where you, where you thought it was going to be four years, I believe, you, Patrick, you did two years in the end, is that correct? Yeah, so it was four and a half years, what they call on the yeah. Top, which is um, two, okay. two and a half years jail. Oh, it was, yeah, two and a half years jail and two years parole. Mm-hmm. Um, so the inmates call it, you know, what would you get on the bottom, what would you get on the top? So I've got two and okay. a half on the bottom and two on the top, making okay. it four and a half in total. Did you, and so you were in jail for those two and a half years? Is that how it works? Or? Uh, no, I appealed um, some of the um, charges okay. um, that uh, I felt were unfair and the lawyers felt were unfair and the two mm-hmm. and a half years, um, yeah, it was commuted down to two years. Okay. So in that moment, Mel, where you hear what the sentence is, I mean, were you in the courtroom alone? Did you have family with you? What was going on? Um, Yeah, look, we had, I wasn't alone. I was, Mm. you know, very lucky to have lots of friends and family. And uh, certainly what Patrick did was um, really wrong. Um, But our friends and family, you know, decided they wanted to support him and support us. So we had, we were lucky to have so many people there. They couldn't all fit in the courtroom. Mm. Um, I think, we weren't expecting a sentence like that at all, um, but a couple of days before he'd been taken into custody, there was a gap of maybe a week or a few days. Um, it's a little bit blurry now mm. until he was the sentence was handed down mm. and the, the magistrate had announced that it would be a custodial sentence. So I kind of thought, okay, well, it's going to be a couple of months. Mm. You know, I can do that. Mm. Um, I can try and learn how to run the business. I can step up and do all these things. But when she read out, you know, the, the 
all these different charges, mm. which added up to four and a half years. Um, uh, yeah, I was in complete and utter shock and, mm. um, yeah, it was really devastated. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So how, where do you even go to from there as far as, you know, you go home, your kids are there. How, what do you say? Like, what was that like for you? Uh, yes, well, it was, um, we decided early on, like we did talk about, you know, the possibility of this happening and we wanted to be prepared. Mm. Um, we did, uh, we really didn't think it would happen. So, um, but the, uh, when the kids eventually came home, they were being babysat initially, you know, I wanted to make sure that I told them the truth so that there was no, they didn't, um, they weren't confused. They weren't kept in the dark or anything like that. So, we thought the best course of action was to tell them the truth. Um, and it was because my reaction had been so, you know, emotional, like I cried, I broke down. Um, I kind of expected the kids to behave the same way, but they had a very different reaction. Like I remember our daughter really wanting an ice block and I said, you can have one, but let's, first of all, I just want to sit you down and explain, go through what happened and be really clear about it. And then they both listened and kind of said, okay, can I have an ice block now? And their reaction to all of this was just is very delayed mm. um, and so uh, there were lots um, yeah but telling them the truth was was definitely a priority um, for us. Mm. How old are your children at the time? They were four and seven. Okay. Okay. Five and seven, yeah, so it's certainly old enough to sort of understand, you know, rationally, I, to some extent, I guess, what was going to happen. Um, how were you both nervous about what the distance would do to your relationship? I mean, talk me through each of your perspectives. Yeah, so I had no idea that my jail would be nine hours away. Um, I just assumed they were going to they'd look mm. at my family and say, where's your family? You know, let's put you in Sydney jail. I had no idea about the whole system. So I had no idea that the the two minimum security jails, the two C jails at the time, were um, were both massive distances. Um, one was um, at, at Manus, which is where I went, which is nine hours away. Um, the other uh, the other was actually uh, closer, was at, um, uh, was at Richmond or Windsor. Um, but they said to me, look, being a first-time offence and white-collar, um, we, we think that really Manus being a farm um, is really the place to go. And I said, oh, no, I really want to go to Windsor. And they said, no, 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 it's going to be Manus. Um, and, yeah, so mm-hmm. in hindsight, I, I don't know if I could have insisted harder, but I go to Windsor because Manus, yeah, massive distance, mm. massive challenge. Mm. And I'm just curious, I know I've just asked you a question, but, again, my curiosity is going to go ahead of me. What was it like in the the prison that you were in, given it was lower security, was it, did you have your own cell and was it, I guess, a little bit more uh, hy- hygienic and things like that? Like what was your environment like for the, for that period of time? Yeah, so um, you're in your own bedroom, so it's literally got a standard bedroom okay. door um, and you're in a hut with ten with nine other guys, so there's ten guys to a hut. Yeah. Uh, so they lock the hut down. But during the night, anyone can stroll into anyone's room or go to the kitchen, toilet, shower. You can't lock your door. Um, and, yeah, I, um, for me, I, that's where I first realised how lazy I am around the house and housework. And I got a very quick and fast lesson, you know, about even if I left a knife or fork in the sink after I made my dinner, mm. you know, people would come tearing them to my room saying they're going to kill me and stuff. Um, and so, you know, having a shower and leaving drips, 
from uh, walking from my cell to the shower. You know, it was a no-no. So um, just making you just got to be so clean. There's no trace that you've ever been to the toilet, to the shower, to the kitchen. Um, and that took a little bit of time to get used to. Um, but uh, I'd recommend that lesson to uh, to anyone that's um, that's a bit lazy around the house. <laughs> mm. So, um, and then back to the relationship front, I guess. Were you nervous knowing that you were going to spend that time away as to what it was going to do, and particularly a, a nine-hour distance? Like, I mean, that's a test for any relationship. What was going through your head, Patrick? Well, it's kind of unfair because the jail time's really, and everyone knows this, is done by the wife. The jail time's done by the wife. I'm playing table tennis and watching TV and having no responsibility for finance, no responsibility for um, washing my clothes because they do it, making my meals because they do it. Um, So my only very, very small responsibility is just to wash up after myself if I make a meal or or clean up after myself and have a shower. Mm. So Melissa's driving the nine hours. Melissa's looking after the business. Melissa's taking the kids to school, answering their questions, making their lunches. Mm. She's doing the tax return. Um, and it's, yeah, um, you've got to kind of resign to the fact that you have no responsibility and can't do anything anyway. Um, and if you try and hold on to some responsibility, uh, to try and, um, to try and manage that just over six minute phone calls that you line up for, uh, people just get so, so frustrated. So the only way to survive is to resign to the fact that, that you can't control anything mm. and there's nothing you can do. And, um, yeah. So yeah, the, the challenge really is on uh, it's it's ninety nine percent, maybe a hundred percent on the, the wife at home. Mm. And so just on that, then Mel, from your perspective, all of a sudden you're a single parent. Uh, you know, was there a level of resentment? Was there a level of you know what were you feeling? And also, were you nervous about whether your relationship could survive? Yeah. Um, yeah. Look, I was definitely uh, resentful and angry, and went through all different you know. Uh, periods and emotions like throughout the whole experience um but yeah I um I think for us it was eventually I had to come to the point and make a decision about whether or not I felt like it was worth investing in our relationship honestly uh quite honestly I if um I thought Patrick was someone who was a career criminal or who um was going to continue on this path I honestly think he made a mistake and I think it's worth noting too that um in terms of his charges um Basically, he sold some prohibited weapons to an undercover policeman and he hadn't ever and hasn't since sold anything to anybody else. So he did the wrong thing at the time. It wasn't like they caught him doing doing this as an, on an ongoing basis or anything like that. So I think he just made a really poor choice at the time. But, but certainly I was resentful. And it was tricky too because the kids at first, while they had a de- delayed reaction, they also had their own little stages of grief too. So they had times where they were really um, missing their dad and then because I, all the responsibility, I had to basically do everything while he was away. They When they were angry with me, they would often take it out on me and say things like, we wish you were in jail. Um, and so that was really hard to hear at times. Um, but, yeah, I think it was uh, definitely a test of our relationship, but I like to think that it has made us stronger and that um, I really did have to make a choice about whether I was going to forgive him for what he'd done, and I did. Mm. Was it a was it a surprise to you? What, oh, what absolutely! Had happened? Like, um, uh, yeah. I think anybody who knows Patrick, um, it was just such a surprise. People just didn't even believe 
that, that, it, that any of mm. it, it, it happened at all. And so, yeah, absolutely. It was, mm. it's quite a bizarre mm. thing still. Um, you know, we think about that period of our lives and it does seem quite strange. Um, mm. but I think the thing, one thing that did really keep us connected was, uh, letters. You're able to send letters. And uh, Patrick, you know, knowing that I really love stories and he does too and we have the same sense of humour, he started really documenting some of the things, fascinating things that were happening in the prison and all the different, you know, um, interactions and things like that, things that you just couldn't make up. And so he was saying, you know, on the outside mm. he's really average but on the inside he's like Stephen Hawking and people would come to him to, for all sorts of things, whether it to, to read letters or help with his, you know, tax return or and it, and it was really very sad that some people who are from families where they, um, who, families are in prison, that's just this, you know, vicious cycle. And so, um, mm. yeah, it was mm. really quite um, bizarre, a lot of the stories that he would tell me that people, there was, uh, he shared a mm. cell, I'm sure Patrick will tell this story much better, but at one point in Manus he shared a cell with a guy who didn't even know how many hours there are in the day and he thought Patrick is a genius because he knew that. Mm. <laughs> Wow. Jeez. It's so, Patrick, you sort of became a little bit like that person that a lot of people would lean on for, for things. Like talk, me more, uh, talk to us more about that. At the time, my very first cellmate said to me, how are you going? And he said, how are you going to spend your time? And I said, well, I'm going to go to bed at six and wake up at six. And so I'm going to sleep um, 50% of my sentence. And he goes, how do you figure? And I go, well, 12 hours. So he goes, what do you mean? He goes, I said, well, 12 hours is half of 24. And he goes, if you counted the hours in a day, he goes, well, how did you do that? And I said, oh, um, no, I, I kind of know that. I've never had to stay up and count the hours, <laughs> stay awake to count the hours. Uh, would be watching uh, The Hulk on TV and um, he'd say, he'd, he'd pause. I oh, know he didn't pause because it was live TV. So me and, me and my cellmate would be watching this on TV and he'd say, is this a true story? And I'd say, mate, it's The Hulk. It's not a true story. Mm-hmm. And he go, but you never know. You've, have you met everyone in America? They've probably got people that can pick up tanks. I'm like, oh, no, yeah. I'm telling you, there's no people in America that can pick up tanks. Wow. <laughs> so interesting. Like literally, again, I mean, you wrote a book about it, Mel, as well, and this whole experience. But like, yeah, what an out-of-body experience to meet so many different people along the way. Um, Mel, I'd like to go to you on this. How did you, did you find there was a level of, judgment from those around you um, about what was happening at the time, particularly when Patrick was away? And did you sort of inform, I don't know, your kids not to tell people at school about it or like just to protect them? Like how did you navigate the potential judgment from the community? Uh, Yeah, well, look, I think I was um, really worried about the judgment or that we would be judged. Fortunately, we had, you know, so much support with you know, family and friends and things like that. But it was such a shock in the beginning that I was just sort of felt like I was uh, just trying to, you know, think on the run about what to do. I didn't really know what to do, but we had tried to, you know, kind of keep it under wraps and not a secret, but we wanted to, um, you know, just share it with people that we thought was, you know, appropriate. Unfortunately, though, our daughter, um, who is very confident and outspoken, she didn't really understand the the line between something being, you know, not being ashamed or it being a secret or you can tell some people but not others. And mm. so there were quite a few occasions where she announced um, things in a quite an inappropriate way. So her t- kindergarten teacher contacted me to tell me that 
uh, she had announced for news that her dad was in jail. Um, that wasn't the main news. The main news was the little, uh, she brought in some little uh, shampoo and conditioners, like the complimentary ones from, you know, that, that you get at cheap little mm-hmm. motels. And she was excited mm-hmm. to show those because she went to see her dad was in jail. But she didn't really, because we wanted to them to be, tell them the truth and be so open with them. And mm-hmm. um, I was worried about them, you know, feeling like they couldn't express their feelings. And mm-hmm. I was so worried about that. Um, but then, yeah, we so we did have... Um, Quite a few situations like that, but um, in our in my experience, it was really quite minor. There were a couple of people who mm-hmm. you know said that they wouldn't you know stay with their partner if um, they'd been sentenced to prison, or um, you know there were a few little things here and there. But quite honestly, mm-hmm. um, you know I felt really supported um, by our friends and family, which is not the case mm-hmm. I think for so many different mm-hmm. people. And um, you know, through the launch of the book and stuff like that, I've had the privilege of meeting with different organisations and talking to women who um, have partners who are incarc- incarcerated and, and probably mm. it's very contingent on what the crime is. So obviously if somebody had done something really serious or injured somebody, mm. not to minimise what Patrick did in any way, but if, um, you know, I suppose we all classif- classify crimes, you know, um, if, if some of these women had had um, partners who'd murdered someone who or had done mm. something of a sexual nature. And so mm. they really um, felt ostracised um, in the community and judged or were or often clearly cut out of things. So that was not our experience, mm. but it's probably because of the nature of the crime. Yeah, yeah. What was it like visiting? Because, I mean, particularly from the kids' perspective, were they sad to leave? Were they confused? Like what was that like, particularly the first time, let's call it? Yeah, well, look, um, the first time... Uh, and we had to think hard about this because the first time we visited Patrick was when he was still in Silverwater, which is where they do the classifying. And so that's maximum security. So it's really strict, you know, and for good reason, um, security mm. procedures and things like that. So it was just um, really quite surreal, just driving there, going there, all that kind of stuff. And so the kids were really excited to see their dad, but it was really quite bizarre um, seeing him in that situation. Like, in the visiting room, um, so, well, first of all, you have to go, you can't take anything in. You have to leave, you know, jewellery and you have to go through retina scans and full mm. body uh, checks and things like that before you actually go into the room. And then uh, there's uh, seats that are bolted to the floor and a table that's bolted to the floor and there's, like, one black seat that the inmate has to sit on. And Patrick was wearing a white jumpsuit with um, inmate, I think is printed on the back and he had to stay in that particular chair. You're not allowed to get up. You're not allowed to, to hug or anything mm. like that. So I, at, mm. at the time our daughter found that really, really hard. She just kept mm. saying she was really upset saying, why can't I sit on your lap? Why? You're my dad. And mm. she just mm. didn't really understand. Um, but they're also, and so that was really hard, but they're also in so many, you know, strange situations in life. It was also really funny because there were some really unusual looking people in that in the room. And uh, mm. the kids just couldn't stop staring. So there was a guy com- mm. with tattoos all over his face and just some really rough-looking people and, and the kids just mm. couldn't stop staring. And Patrick was trying to say, don't stare, and then the kids mm. would stare and then they'd say, what did he do? What did he do? Mm. And uh, I suppose it's, they're all the same. You know, people even um, when I tell anybody about the book or what happened, you know, that's mm. naturally people want to know what, what did they do. Mm. Um, and so that was, you know, it was almost, it was quite, in a way and interesting and fascinating for them too and 
they were quite surprised the first time or the second time we went to um, Silverwater, they have sniffer dogs and they were saying, why are the dogs here? They're really excited because they love animals. And I had to explain mm. they're sniffer dogs and they try and sniff out drugs on people and they mm. just couldn't, they just never knew anything about that. Their mind was blown that mm. people would even do that. Yeah. And, um, and my daughter, uh, our daughter had made all this craft that she wanted to bring because mm. that's her way of, you know, being creative and expressing herself mm. and she'd made all this beautiful craft that she wanted to take into Patrick and she was really upset that she couldn't give it to him. And, um, and even uh, further on in the sentence, he, she could only ever send, you know, and for good reason, but for a piece of paper with, um, you know, just a crayon or a pencil drawing on it, you couldn't ever have anything mm. with glue or glitter or anything like that. And I mm-hmm. had to explain to her because people hide drugs underneath and she mm-hmm. just, she just, <laughs> she just found it so hard to believe. <laughs> wow. Did they get emotional leaving? Like was there any sort of mixed emotion there as well that you experienced with the little ones? Uh, I found they both of them tended to be a bit more delayed, like not so much at the mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. And it was also um, – it was tricky to going to visit him down at Manus, which was a much nicer environment certainly to be around like minimum security. Mm. You could pack, um, you know, like a picnic lunch kind of thing. You could take in a few things, uh, toys and things like that. Um, And there were some picnic tables and trees and things like that. So it wasn't like the maximum security Mm. uh, facility, but, um, but it was also quite boring for them. Like, um, you know, you can't watch movies, you can't, um, like it was hard for them in a way as well, and even mm. even just driving the distance, it's a really long way. Mm. Um, mm. So they were just, yeah. It sounds like if they did have a few emotions, it was sort of as you said, a bit after the fact. Did you feel you wanted them to speak to someone about their experience, i.e., a counsellor or something, at the time, or is that because they were a bit younger? You managed it with friends and family. How did that go? Uh, yeah, look, I I was I really felt like during the whole period my priority was the kids, and mm. I did take them to a psychologist, but it actually <laughs> didn't go down too well. Uh, and that is, um, our daughter was not interested at all in talking to the psychologist. She didn't really connect with her, and she kept actually it was quite funny because she just kept saying, "My mum told me not to talk to strangers." I was I was pretty aware that mm. she knew that the door, like, because I was there at this, I was there too <laughs> and it was fine, but she just didn't want to mm. talk about it with her. But I think mm. she had lots of opportunities with because it wasn't a secret and we got to talk about it with friends and family and she could talk about yeah. it with her friends. She had a lot of opportunity mm. to talk about these things. But, um, yeah, yeah, it was, it was certainly a challenge. <laughs> mm, I bet. And for you, Patrick, I mean, seeing the children and then as they you know, walk away and you're not sure, you know, it's obviously going to be a few minutes between drinks as to, you know, Mm. as they say around when you're necessarily going to see your little ones again. Like when you look back at that experience, like what did that teach you about the importance of family for you? Like what what would you say your biggest lessons were there? Time. So to spend time. So Mm. I I probably spent too much time on my business coming home late nights and stuff like that. And all the kids crave uh, is time, Um, more than the latest iPad and more than um, trips overseas and more than anything else that I thought that I was providing by working long hours. Um, Yeah, the kids really crave time. I remember once in Manus, so the minimum security, this is with um, plastic chairs, not bolted down chairs. I was with Tilly. Mm. 
And um, she said, "Can I?" they had a vending machine that I'm not allowed to go near because I'm not allowed to handle cash or anything. And she said, uh, can I get a, a Mars bar? And um, I said, no, mum told me you already had, because they were allowed to have a chocolate bar for the trip to Manus and back. Um, mm. That's Melissa's thing she had with them. Um, mm-hmm. They're allowed a chocolate bar. And she said, can I have a Mars bar? And I said, no, you've already had one, mum told me. And she got really upset and she stood up and she um, knocked the plastic chair over on the ground. And um, she said, you're not even my real dad. Um, so obviously something she'd heard other kids saying when she was playing with other kids about who are you visiting or my mum's boyfriend or whatever. So she got these stories from them and then the guard sort of came over and then she started saying, I'm only here because you're my mum's boyfriend. And uh, I was like, no, that's not true. That's not true. She's going, she's going, you're not my real dad. And the guards are coming over. All the inmates are looking and I'm looking at them and the guards going, no, no, none of this is true. And everyone's going, yeah, right, mate, whatever, whatever, mate. <laughs> Oh my goodness. What a like, yeah, she's a, as you said, she's quite an outgoing kind of, yeah, personality as well, right? But also like, yeah, speaks her mind. Like, you know, the show, is she the same, is this the same child that did the show and tell? Yes, yeah. Yeah, speaks her mind. (laughs) And it's quite. She's five, you know. Yeah. And I think the guards even said to us at the time, okay, whatever, Mm. that's none of our business, but good good luck with her when she's older, you're going to need it. (laughs) Um, So normally, normally if she'd thrown a chair around at home mm. i'd say to sit in a naughty corner or whatever yeah but yeah. Uh, i'm not allowed to get, to hand out any discipline um or say anything like that so i've got to wait for melissa to come over um who was that getting a coffee or something i've got to wait for melissa yeah. to come over and say no you don't do that you don't throw chairs around mm. um, as a five-year-old in a prison visitor center <laughs> Mm, so yeah what i want to now go to the day you were released so Mel, what was that like for you on that day? Uh, well, there, um, there was actually a period of time uh, before, like, Patrick was officially released because he did some work mm. release. So he was basically oh, would okay. come out for a day. It's like sort of um, preparation for this period. Um, but but it was really surreal because uh, Patrick would was able to come home, um, but they were quite. They'd come and check on him and you couldn't leave the house and things like that. So on the one hand, it was really great um, that he was home. But on the other hand, it, it felt um, he'd been away for so long. So it was quite surreal. And also there's all these restrictions. Um, and the other thing too is that um, I'm sure, you know, Patrick will speak to this a bit more, but he was quite uh, traumatised uh, when he came out. So it was actually, it was, yeah, it was real. It was a real challenge. Mm. Talk to us about that, Patrick. Sure. Yeah. What Melissa, yeah. she's being polite here. Mm. What she means by traumatised is I was angry. Mm. Um, mm. So I was angry with the world and mm. and um, just probably unpleasant for a year or two to be around. Um, and, I, I, yeah, I was just abrupt and things. And mm. in jail when you've got absolutely nothing to do, um, mm. it, it's, it's, it's super clean. Like everyone, Like people would sweep their cells four times a day. You know, mm. and they'd clean out the kitchen once or tw- uh, clean out the ki- the um, the fridge once or twice a day. Mm. And mm. so when I got home and there's like a little bit of butter on the shelf, um, mm. I was like, "How can this be? You've got, you know, you can have access to this fridge whenever you want. How can there be butter on the shelf just loose? You know, from being." Mm. And so, um, uh, you know, before I'd went in, that kind of wouldn't bother me. But coming out, mm. I was, I was. Um, 
yeah, yeah, I'd say just very unpleasant and angry. Were you angry because of the time that you felt you lost? Were you angry? What was the deep-seated, um, like, feeling that why? Why anger? Um, I felt that I knew I did something wrong, but I really felt like I, uh, I thought I was hard done by. Mm-hmm. So um, with the sentences of six months for this and six months for that, you know, possession of a slingshot, um, she made all the sentence um, consecutive instead of concurrent. Um, which um, I, I don't think is usual either. So, you know, the two years, um, yeah, I uh, I felt like I'd been ripped off, especially what the lawyers had told me and all that sort of stuff. And so I was just really mm. angry that that that, mm. that, that happened. Yeah. Mm. Oh. So I guess I'm curious from both of your points. Um, I mean, your experience was, was quite, I guess, more on the extreme end. But for those listening who may be struggling with perhaps their partner um, is sort of feeling a level of frustration or anger or something due to, you know, an external circumstance, what were the things that you felt helped you as a couple, as a family, start turning that around? I mean, um, Patrick, from your perspective, was there self-work that you felt you had to do? Uh, you know, I'm just curious, like what tips can we use from from this example that you guys have had? So the for me it was time. It was just time, um, which is, and, you know, the counselling helped a bit, but I really think it was time, and um, which is kind of unfortunate because, you know, you've got to put up with, with me for a year or two, if only there was a faster, quicker solution. Um, one of the other things that helped me was um, uh, I had a chat to a friend of mine, Pastor Ian Woods, um, and he, I know I was saying this is so unfair and I went to jail and all this sort of stuff and I'm really ticked off with the world. And he said, mate, I've got three months to live with cancer. He goes, why are you, you're out, you're free. You know, you have no right anymore. Um, to be angry, to be upset, you need to snap out of it, and um, yeah, that was a good chat uh, with uh, with Ian Woods as well. Um, uh, but yeah, chats with people, friends, family, counsellor, and time is basically what it came down to. Mm. Yeah, and look, Patrick did receive a diagnosis of having um, PTSD, and look, even though he joked about it being, um, I think he's downplaying the fact that you know. There were times, period of time in jail where he was bored and he was playing table tennis. But I think certainly being surrounded by so much violence and anger and people who uh, have been incarcerated, you know, inmates who've been in jail for 20 years or so, it really does take a toll on your emotional health. So I think for me it was really important um, to get some professional help, like for for him and for both of us, mm-hmm. and, uh, and also listening to each other because I think at first he couldn't really see how he was behaving. So it, it seems great. Oh, he got out. That's fantastic. You know, that's what he's been wanting to do since he went in there and we've been counting down until he does get out. But that was probably the hardest time. So when he on that first day that he came out and work release, he was actually really aggro about the pantry, that it wasn't organised and um, it's probably still like that today, mind you, but um, uh, it's really not my forte. But he just was so, I, I suppose he was... Um, uh, redirecting the anger that he was feeling and taking it out on people that he shouldn't, but he didn't really see that he was behaving like that. So I think it was it really helped that he was able to get some professional help. Mm, absolutely. Um, oh, guys, I feel I could talk to you both forever. I'm mindful of your time. Um, I'd need to read your book as well. Like I'm literally just like, yeah, this is, yeah, such a 
you know, rich conversation around, and, and this is what the podcast is all about. It's about you know, identifying those challenging times in our lives and, you know, sort of trying to get the lessons from that and inspiring others to, you know, to learn from from our experiences as well. So I guess first and foremost, I really want to thank you both for being so open and honest during this conversation. Um, and yes, I will absolutely encourage everyone to go and read your book too, Mel. But how else can people find out more about you, Mel, and the work that you're doing? Oh, great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, the book's called In Sickness, In Health and In Jail, and you can get it from your local bookstore or Booktopia. Um, a lot of libraries also stock it, so it's always great to you know borrow, for, borrow from your local libraries and you can read it there. Perfect. I'll add the details in the episode notes as well. Thank you both so much again for your time. Thanks, Leonie. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating or review and share it with your friends. Want to contribute to the conversation? Hit us up on Instagram at Parenthood Pod and join our Facebook group. Until next time. The Parenthood Podcast would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we produce on, the land of the Wawandri people. We pay respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging.